This lesson this morning, working through it this week, preparing for it, has been incredibly convicting and humbling. I needed this sermon this week, um, and now that I've preached it, this will be the third time I've preached it this morning, it, it doesn't cease to be convicting and humbling. I need this lesson this morning, and I hope that uh, it helps you as this text, John 5, has helped me this week. I've been stressed. I don't know about you, but the last couple weeks have been kind of stressful. A lot going on here at church, good stuff. Uh, a lot going out home, going on at home, lots of good stuff, lots of opportunities to, to work and minister different places and do different things, but it's been incredibly stressful. And I, I say that not because I think that I'm unique, but because I imagine that most of you probably have felt the same, if not this week, uh, in weeks past. Life can be incredibly busy. And stressful, can't it? We have so much going on and we work so hard. But here's what I think is true of me and I think it's probably true of a lot of human beings in our culture especially, is that we work in service to a myth. And here's the myth. The myth is it all depends on me. We work in service to the myth that it depends on me, or at least the results depend on me. That when we have things go well, it's because we did it. We, we were successful. We achieved what we set out to achieve. It's because we did what we were supposed to. Or maybe it's because God is rewarding us for what we did or how we did it. But things, when things go poorly... And things don't go well. We beat ourselves up and we say, it's because I didn't do what I was supposed to, or I didn't do it well enough, or I did the wrong thing, or maybe God is punishing me for how I did it or what I did. You ever feel like that? You ever feel like the whole world is sort of on your shoulders? That if you were to stop doing for just a minute, if you were to just stop and take a break or take a breath even, that the whole world might come apart, that everything might come tumbling down. We feel like those guys, you know, that are spinning all the plates at the same time. And if you were to just stop, that everything would come crumbling down. We feel like so often it all depends on us. And that's what we work towards. That's why we work. And even sometimes when we're not working or not doing anything but worrying, sometimes we feel like, I've got to worry. If I stop worrying, things might come apart, right? And you worry about your kids, or you worry about your parents, or you worry about your job, or you worry about this, that, or the other. And you feel like if you were to just stop worrying for a minute and take a breath, everything might just come tumbling down. See, but I think this gets to the very heart of the life that God was inviting even Israel into. I think that this is the very heart of what the Sabbath days were all about. So Israel had Sabbath days, not just the weekly Sabbath day. So there was that, the Sabbath day, which is every seven days, right? Every Saturday was a Sabbath day. And on the Sabbath day, they weren't supposed to what? Work, right? Don't work on the Sabbath day, just rest and reflect on that seventh day of every single week, just rest. Don't work. Don't create. Remember, God didn't or stopped creating on the seventh day, and so you stop doing, stop creating, stop working, just rest and reflect on God. But it wasn't just the seventh day. It was also the seventh year. So on the seventh year was a Sabbath year. So every seven years was supposed to be a Sabbath year on which the Jews were not supposed to plant 
or harvest anything. So on that year, they were supposed to eat what they had grown and harvested in the sixth year and just let the land rest and let the people rest. And then there was a jubilee year, or at least there was supposed to be a jubilee year. Every seven, seventh year, every seventh Sabbath year was supposed to be, that'd be 49 years if you're trying to do the math. So every 49 years was supposed to be a year of jubilee in which debts were forgiven and prisoners and slaves were released and the land went back to its original owners and there was supposed to be a great rest and jubilee. And so part of that, part of that is, is a blessing. What a, what a tremendous blessing. Now, you see, we, we sort of live in a culture where a weekend is taken for granted, right? You know, you work a few days and then you get a weekend and you work a few months and you get a vacation. And so we sort of live in a world where that's normal. But in the ancient world, that wasn't normal. And the only people that had times of leisure and vacation, what's a vacation? Day off. What are you talking about? Day off. You don't get a day off. It va- Those types of leisure and rest were for wealthy people or for royalty, Common, ordinary, working people had to work every day. You want bread to eat today? Then work today. You don't eat, you don't work today, you don't eat today. And so every day, everybody had to work. That was the way it was in the ancient world. But God, He had this special people and He freed them from slavery in Egypt and and He gave them sort of a foretaste of the freedom to come and saying every seventh day, you just rest. And you don't work on that day. And the same with with the years, the Jubilee and the Sabbath years, just rest. But it wasn't just a blessing. It also was a a, a test of trust, wasn't it? Do you trust me? Because I know it sounds great. Having a day off sounds great. But to do no work is kind of hard, isn't it? I've been thinking a lot about this this week. And so I even thought yesterday was the seventh day of Saturday. And I thought, maybe today I just won't do any work But then I was like, well, my lawn has to be fertilized. I got to do this and I got to do that. It was hard to just just stop. And so to, to spend a day every single week where you believe you're going to eat that day and have plenty to drink that day and have clothes to wear that day and have a roof over your head that day. Why? Because God is working on your behalf. God is going to take care of you. And then to take a Sabbath year and not to plant. If you were a farmer and you said, okay, on this year, you don't plant anything. You don't harvest anything. You have to trust that every sixth year, God's going to give you plenty to eat through the seventh year. Do you trust me. I will provide for you. I will work on your behalf. I will give you food to eat and clothes to wear and a roof over your head. And so God invited his people to work six days, work six days, but even on those days, trust in me and rest on the seventh day, trusting in me. I think about Psalm 127. Look at Psalm 127 in verse one. It says this, it says, unless the Lord builds the house, Those who build it labor in what? In vain. And unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. See, no matter what you do, no matter what your job is, there's a myth that it all depends on you, right? The results depend on you. If I can stay awake and I can be a really good watchman and I can watch over everything, then nothing bad will happen to my city. That's a lie. You don't know that. If I'm a really good builder and I build a really strong house, then it will never come down. And the psalmist says, listen, it's in vain. 
You work your little fingers to the bone and you think if you're really good and really strong and you stay awake really well and you watch really well and you do whatever it is your job is really well, you think that you'll be successful, but it's in vain unless the Lord is on your side. Unless the Lord builds the house, all your work is in vain. Unless the Lord watches over your city, all your watching is in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. I love that phrase, eating the bread of anxious toil. You ever eaten that? I've eaten that. Eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. So work? Yes. Do what? I I mean, build houses? Yes. Watch over cities? Absolutely. Plant? Yes. Harvest? Yes. But do it trusting God. Work six days trusting God that it's not really my labors. It's not really my planting or my watering or my fertilizing that makes me have food. And it's not my hard work that makes sure I have a roof over my head. It's God who provides for me. And that's why work six days trusting God. Rest one day trusting God. Whether it's time to work or time to rest, do it all, trusting that God is the one who makes the sun to rise and the rain to fall and the plants to grow. What an incredible way to live your life, right? Where you work hard, but you work hard not believing that the results belong to you, but work hard believing that the results belong to God. And you rest, not just not just go on vacation, but you rest trusting that it's God who gives you food and God who puts a roof over your head and God who puts clothes on your back. That's what the Sabbath was all about. Trust in God. So with that in mind, look at John chapter 5 and verse 1. John says, after this, there was a feast of the Jews. Now, This is going to introduce a section. John arranges things kind of topically. And over the next few weeks, we're going to look at the feasts that John introduces us to because Jesus has interesting conversations around those feasts that help us to see that Jesus is the answer, the fulfillment, the embodiment of all that those feasts stood for. And here, the feast kind of goes unnamed, unless, of course, that feast itself is the Sabbath. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. Now, for a long time, people couldn't find this this pool, and so they kind of doubted the accuracy of John's gospel account. But now, of course, they found it, and they're like, oh, I guess John knew what he was talking about. So, But the the five roofed colonnades or five roofed porches, it had five because it was a a rectangle, so four, one on each side, but then also one in the middle because there were actually two pools. One was a higher pool and one was a lower pool. So one was sort of a reservoir that the water would drain out into the lower pool, and, and that's where... In these porches, we read, in these lay a multitude of invalids, blind and lame and paralyzed. And I just kind of want you to picture that in your mind, a multitude, blind and lame and paralyzed, helpless and hopeless. Picture what it would look like and what it would feel like, what it would smell like in a place like that. And their, their lack of hope how they were feeling. 
Then in the end of verse 3 and all through verse 4, if you have that in your Bible, unfortunately, scholars now think that somebody probably inserted that later. It most certainly probably wasn't in the original manuscript. So look down at verse 5, and let's read about this man that says, One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? Do you want to be healed? Now, I mean, that might sound like a no-brainer. Of course he wants to be healed, right? But, but listen to his response, because here's where the key is. The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool. And when the water is stirred up, and while I'm going, another steps down before me, while I am going. Picture that. Here's a man who can't walk. And so he says, while I am going. Is he trying? Yeah. And here's a man who's trying to get in the pool. Every single time the water is stirred, and it's probably stirred because the water in the upper reservoir is draining down into the bottom reservoir. But the, the idea was, the, the myth was, that there was healing in this pool. The myth was that, that there was, the healing was for the first place person. Whoever could get in there fastest, whoever's the first one in there, you get healed. So this man believed that myth. He believed the myth that there was healing there. He believed the myth that, that the first person in there was going to be healed. Maybe, some scholars even think that this, these pools were actually a shrine to the Greek god Asclepius, that this was an Asclepion. There were hundreds of those all over the Greco-Roman world where people went hoping to find healing. And so maybe he believed that myth, but certainly he believed the myth that you and I have a tendency to believe. It all depends on me. And because I'm not fast enough, fast enough or strong enough and I can't get to the water first, I can't be healed. Jesus says, do you want to be healed? He says, yes, of course I want to be healed, but I can't be because I can't be the first one in the pool. He is a slave to the myths he believes. And so in verse 11, verse, sorry, verse 8, Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed. And walk. There's no like other conversation that goes on. He just tells him, get up your, get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and walked. Now, John tells us this. Now that day was the Sabbath. And if it was a movie, we would hear bump, 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 right? Because we know, know something's going to happen. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews, and when he says Jews, he doesn't just mean Jewish people. The guy who was healed was Jewish. Jesus was Jewish. John that's writing this letter was Jew, or this book is Jewish. He means the Jew, the Jewish leaders. He says, the Jews said to this man who had been healed, it's the Sabbath and it's not lawful for you to take up your bed. Now I wonder, I wonder, I don't know. But I mean, here's a whole multitude of people lying around this pool for years. Hungry, desperate hopeless, helpless. I mean, how often did these Jewish leaders go down there and help them and take care of them, tend to their needs, feed them, bless them, encourage them? Maybe this was the very first time that any of these leaders ever had a conversation with this man, and it wasn't to encourage him or bless him. It was to say, hey, stop it. What you're doing, stop that. Don't carry your bed. It's the Sabbath. You're not supposed to do that. And he answered, verse 11, he answered them, the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. Now, I mean, where would should the emphasis be in that sentence? The man who did what? The man who healed me, right? And they should have been, the follow-up would have been like, well, what do you mean healed? Like you couldn't walk and now you're walking? I mean, that's cool. Tell us about that. How long could you not walk? But that's not what they said. 
They asked him, who's the man who said to you, take up your bed? Not who healed you, who blessed you, who took care of you, who helped you, but who told you you could take your bed and walk? Because that's breaking their traditions. You're not supposed to do that on the Sabbath. Now, the man who had been healed, he didn't know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in this place. Verse 14, after, afterward, Jesus found him in the temple. So he leaves that place, so he's not with the Jews anymore, and now he's in the temple, and Jesus sees him. And listen to what Jesus says. See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. Now, that's, that's kind of weird, huh? Last week, we talked about John 4 and the woman at the well, and we pointed out that Jesus never emphasized her sin or pointed out her sin. But here, here's a guy, all we know about him is he couldn't walk for 38 years, and now he's been healed, and the first thing Jesus says to him after he's healed is, hey, don't sin anymore so that nothing bad worse will happen to you. What's that about? What was his sin? Well, maybe if, if it was a Greek shrine that he was at, maybe that was his sin. But certainly, one way or the other, he was believing in myths, wasn't he? He was believing in myths of the pool and myths of, if I can just get there first. But he was believing in the myth that it all depends on me. And he wasn't trusting God. That, what's the Sabbath all about? Trust in God. He's the one who heals. He's the one that feeds. He's the one that blesses. Trust in God. But he wasn't. He was lying there for 38 years. And you might say, well, he was lying there. He couldn't do anything. But was he working on the Sabbath? Yes, he was. He was desperately trying to find a way to get in the pool and heal himself. Even though he wasn't doing a lot, he was eating the bread of anxious toil. It all depends on me. And Jesus says, listen, You've got to stop sinning so that nothing worse will happen to you. I think think what was possible to happen in his life is what happens in our life a lot. God blesses us. He bails us out of a jam. He does something good for us. And we still don't learn our lesson. We still trust in ourselves and not in him. You've got to learn to trust in God. That's what the Sabbath was all about. So, Verse 15, the man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. And listen to Jesus' answer. So when asked, why do you heal on the Sabbath? Why do you think it's okay for you to heal on the Sabbath? Here's Jesus' defense. My father is working until now, and I am working. Does God work on the Sabbath? Yes, that's why his people could rest on the Sabbath. Right? You can rest because God is working on your behalf. You, you may not be planting, you may not be harvesting, but God is giving growth, right? God, it still rains on the Sabbath. The sun still comes up and shines on the Sabbath. Babies are still born on the Sabbath. There's still food to eat on the Sabbath. That's the whole reason God's people could rest on the Sabbath because God was still working on the Sabbath. And Jesus says, you want to know why I'm working on the Sabbath? It's because my Father is working on the Sabbath. And isn't that what the Gospel of John is all about? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. 
I'm doing what I'm doing because this is the sort of thing my father is doing. My father is working, and that's why I am working as well. Verse 18, this was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. John wants us to understand that the Jews were trying to kill Jesus, not because they misunderstood what he was doing and what he was saying, but because they understood exactly what Jesus was saying. Jesus is saying, if you've seen me and you see the sort of things that I do, then you know who God is. You know what God is up to. If you love God, you'll love me. If you trust God, you'll trust me. If you honor God, you'll honor me because I'm doing. I am the word become flesh. I am God's representative. I am the human being that embodies who the Father is. Is And he sent me and appointed me to be his exact representation in the world. It wasn't that they misunderstood what Jesus was saying. That's exactly what he was saying. Verse 19, so God said to them, or Jesus said to them rather, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing and greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. You want It's exactly what we've been saying for several weeks now, isn't it? You want to know what God is like? God is exactly like Jesus of Nazareth. That's what God is like. Jesus was showing them who the Father was. For, verse 21, for as the Father raises the dead... And gives them life. That's what God has the power to do and the authority to do. So also the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Everything Jesus is going to say all throughout this gospel account, it brings to the surface that the reason that people didn't love him and honor him and obey him is because they weren't really loving and honoring and obeying God. Here were a group of Jews that kept the Sabbath. I mean, they were policemen for the Sabbath. You better not pick up your bed. You better not pick that. You better not eat that. You better not do that because it's the Sabbath. But were they really honoring the Sabbath? The Sabbath was all about trust in God. But who was it that they were trusting in on the Sabbath and every other day? Themselves. Look how well I keep the Sabbath. I'm doing everything I'm supposed to. I don't do this and I do this and I don't do that. Even on the Sabbath, it wasn't about trusting in God. It was about trusting in their own obedience, trusting in their own power to not do what they weren't supposed to do. And every other day, it was Trusting in their own righteousness, their own goodness, their own morality, their own piety. And that's why when Jesus shows up and he says, trust me like you trust God, they weren't able to because they didn't really trust God. Verse 24, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but he's passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. 
When Jesus talks about the resurrection, that's not the emphasis. They all knew there was going to be a resurrection, that at the end, all of the dead will be raised, the the righteous will be raised to life, and the, the wicked will be raised to punishment. They knew that. They believed that. They understood that. That's not Jesus' point. His point is, the Father has given that authority to me. The Father has given me the authority to raise the dead, to bless, to give life, and to judge That authority belongs to Jesus. Verse 26, For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he's given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who've done good to the resurrection of life and those who've done evil to the resurrection of judgment. You know, I I even have a tendency to read that part and still think it all depends on me. Do good, live, do bad, die. But that's not Jesus' emphasis. He's saying, I am the one. I am the one who will raise those who've done good to life. And I am the one who will judge those who've done wickedly. So the, the application is what? Trust Jesus, right? Do good, Trusting in Jesus. Work hard, but do it trusting in Jesus. Rest and trust in Jesus so that when your final Sabbath comes, that's what death is, isn't it? It's a final Sabbath, a final rest, that in that rest, you do it. You rest trusting in Jesus, that it's his voice that will call you forth from the tomb. Trust in Jesus. So there's the moment of truth for us all, is do I work And do I rest trusting in Jesus? Or do I work and do I rest trusting in myself? Moment of truth. Do I work and rest trusting in Jesus? Work hard. Serve Jesus. Do good. Whatever it is that you do, do it with all your might. Whatever your hands find to do, do good with your hands. But do it not trusting in yourself, but trusting in him. You can ask Holly. Sunday afternoons are torture for me. I get home and I I beat myself up and I think, man, you shouldn't have said this, Wes, and you should have said that. You didn't say what you should have said. You took too long. You you didn't take long enough. Whatever it is, I, I, I beat myself up because I have a tendency to believe the lie that the results depend on me rather than believing the truth that Jesus can take our feeble little efforts, whatever it is, Whatever it is that you speak or whatever it is that you do, God can take those, Jesus can take those and do great things with that. Whatever it is, wherever you work, whatever it is that you do, whoever you speak to and whoever you serve and wherever you go, trust in Jesus that he can take those things and do great things. And then when it comes time to rest, and it's a good thing to rest sometimes, isn't it? Just take a deep breath and just rest trusting in Jesus, that the world isn't going to fall apart because you stopped to thank God and to be joyful and to praise him. Work and rest, trusting in Jesus, not in yourself. Maybe we can help you with that. Maybe you can share your burdens with us and we can help pray for you and pray with you. See, that's what baptism is about, isn't it? It's about saying, I surrender My life and my death belong to Jesus. My work and my rest 
belong to Jesus. My labor and my Sabbath belong to Jesus. He's the one who will call me forth from the grave. My good works, I do it not because I trust I can be good enough somehow, but because I trust he's the one that will raise me from the dead. Your work and your rest, when you were baptized into Jesus, you said it belongs to you. I surrender. Maybe it's time to do that again and just ask for prayers or encouragement. We're here to help each other through this life, trusting in Jesus, not in ourselves. If we can help you this morning, let us do that. Come forward as we stand and sing.